Okay, we'll get started. Welcome everybody to the new stream. Uh, once again, apologies for the technical difficulties. We'll get there. We're we're learning as we go along, so we we appreciate your patience. Um, so as I was mentioning before, um, yeah, like we because we're still in the midst of this lockdown because we are still suffering. I just thought I'm going to share one more one more sermon of, about suffering just because I think it's relevant. I'm going to have a word of prayer and I'll invite and and we'll open God's word together. Father God, I just want to thank you for the Sabbath, for this day that you've promised us um, of our immediate rest for the next 24 hours, uh, but most importantly for the eternal rest that we can look forward to. And I just want to pray that as we read your word, that you would give us encouragement and resilience and the ability to um, the ability to not only survive this time of difficulty, but the ability to hear your voice in the midst of this difficulty. And so, um, yeah, I just want to thank you for your word and for the guidance um, and the hope that you give through it. And uh, I just pray that you bless this time that we have together. We pray in your name. Amen. Um, I've got a friend named Celia. Many of you know her. And whenever something bad happens, she asks this question, um, what do you think God is trying to do in the midst of this difficulty? And I suppose if that question came from anybody else, it could potentially come across as um, just a very difficult question. But Celia is someone who I really... um, really look up to in a lot of ways uh, because she had this life of success in the corporate world. Um, She finished her medical studies, um, decided, you know what, I want to step into something else other than medicine, went and studied law and became a successful lawyer. And it's, it's someone who's just a very high production individual. Um, And what ended up happening is that uh, she had this kind of mysterious back ailment And in the midst of her inability to stand for long periods of time and her inability to then perform as a corporate professional, um, her life took a complete 180 turn. um, And and she is now living out um, in Alice Springs, um, leading a spiritual community and uh, writing incredible incredible works of theology. And um, yeah, so when she asked that question, uh, what do you think God is trying to do in the midst of your suffering? It doesn't come from somebody who doesn't know how to connect with God in a time of difficulty. And so as we were going through this pandemic, I was kind of asking myself that question. And um, this sermon is kind of a, a, a response to that question. You know, we've been journeying through a series entitled uh, Truths to Live By, um, and today we're going to be exploring the ultimate truth, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, what we as Christians believe centers around Jesus. Um, he is the message of Christianity. His life, his words, his coming, his going, um, his promised return, it embodies the message of God to humanity. We're forgiven, we have value, we have purpose, we have hope. So by familiarizing ourselves with the life of Christ, we have a model 
of what it means to be a follower of God. So today I want to talk about suffering as a part of the life of Jesus. Now, I know the Olympics have already passed, but since the events are still fresh in our minds, I just kind of, I want to revisit that Dean Boxel celebration of Ariane Titmus winning the 400 meter. Um, and as I, as I, you know, read through the news articles and as I've watched the clip over and over and over again, I asked myself the question, who is this guy? And I went down the YouTube rabbit hole of just exploring Dean Boxel and Ariane Titmus. And it was so interesting watching the interviews and the recorded training sessions leading up to the Olympics. Uh, what stuck out to me was how, how, how Dean Boxel motivated his swimmers to push through the pain of training and to become the best swimmers in the world. Now, the last Olympics were quite uh, meaningful in that it was the first time watching these events with my with my kids. And so watching Micah and Joshua cheering for Australia as they would watch these events where Australia would either win or do well. And it was just it was such a meaningful experience. And, you know, it, it really deepened my appreciation for what it means to be Australian. Um, there, there was kind of like this pride that welled up. And it's kind of interesting because I'm not the one who won the medal, but I feel like I'm a part of this great country that is doing great things. And, you know, it, there was this cause of celebration. And, and I suppose, you know, our identity as Australians is kind of, connected to these athletes who sacrifice a normal life um, and they put their bodies through intense training. And at the end of it, they experience this glory, uh, well, yes, glory, but reward. And, and we somehow get to connect ourselves with that saying, hey, we're from that same place as well. We are from this great country. The Bible identifies Jesus as a suffering Messiah. And I want to explore what that means what, what Jesus' suffering means for us as we get to then see him suffer and experience reward and glory in his resurrection and how that brings about hope and pride to us as believers of Jesus. According to Martin Keller, the Gospel of Mark is about 40% passion narrative, uh, which means that the last week of Jesus' life uh, takes up to 40% of the story of Mark. Keller says that the suffering of Christ draws attention to itself so that it eclipses the retelling of Christ's living. So the way that Jesus died takes precedence over the way that he lived. Jesus's passion should be understood today, not only as a historical event, but as the central and defining event of the life of Jesus. Notice what Peter says about Christ's suffering. And as, as you know, we don't have slides. And so I'm just going to invite you to pull out your Bibles, whether you have it in physical book form or whether it's an app on your phone. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. So Peter talks about the suffering of Christ, and he writes... Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, 
trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And I I encourage you, if you have a Bible in in front of you, or if you have a Bible accessible to read it as some of the texts are quite dense. So if I just read it, sometimes the meaning gets lost. So I, I hope that you can journey with me through, through the text itself. Now, what Peter is saying here is he's saying throughout the biblical narrative, there's this prophecy regarding the Messiah. Now imagine being a student of scripture, looking for the promised Messiah. How would you identify him? Peter says the greatest prediction of the Messiah or the greatest way that you identify the Messiah would be the temporary sufferings endured by the Messiah that would lead to eternal glory. Jesus would refer to this identifying mark throughout his life. He would connect himself consistently with this idea of suffering. So in Luke chapter 24, verses 26 to 27, Luke chapter 24, verses 26 to 27, Jesus here is walking on this famous road towards Emmaus and famous in terms of um, it's become famous because of this story. And Jesus, in the context of the story, he's been resurrected and he's trying to bring encouragement to his discouraged disciples. Imagine committing your whole life to Jesus for over a three-year period, expecting that this teacher, this miracle worker, this incredible human being would do something significant in his lifetime. And instead of becoming a king, he gets crucified. And so Jesus here then revisits his disciples and he has to reteach them the nature of his identity and the nature of his mission. And so he writes here in Luke chapter 24, verses 26 to 27, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus here walks through the Old Testament and shows how the Messiah is supposed to be a suffering Messiah. So not only did Jesus's life reflect one that was interconnected to suffering, but in his teachings as well, Jesus highlights the role of suffering uh, concerning himself, or excuse me, uh, he highlights the role of suffering and the implications that suffering has for us. So in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 35, Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 35, Jesus here is sharing a truth about his identity as the Messiah. And he says here, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the t- and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Jesus says something challenging 
in that suffering is not only a way of life, it's the way to life. Our call to follow Jesus includes our call to suffer with him. This doesn't mean that we should look for suffering and unnecessarily subject ourselves to difficulty. Um, In the early church, monks and nuns would apply this in an incorrect way by punishing themselves as they would pray in hopes that they would um, be counted worthy to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And, And what this is saying, or what Jesus is saying, is that when we follow Jesus and live out his words, expect difficulty. It will just be there. We don't have to create our own difficulty. See, we live in a fallen world, and the reality is that suffering exists. Now, this seems so counterintuitive because uh, as humans, we live or we believe in the inalienable right, inalienable rights to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oftentimes, that happiness comes in the form of comfort, peace, and prosperity. Now, going back to the fact that we live in this great country um, of Australia, you know, we most of the time we have the ability to protect ourselves from. Uh, we have the ability to create comfort, to live in relative peace, accumulate wealth, and 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 the challenge is things don't go the way that they should. As in right now, in the midst of this pandemic, it's really difficult because we can't protect ourselves from suffering. Now, I want to make it clear that when it comes to the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, these things are good. And even in scripture, God wants this for humanity. And at the end of the Bible, there's a promise of fulfilling those desires. Now, initially, I was going to have a slide of Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4, but I'm just going to narrate the slide for you. In At the end of the book of Revelation, we have this picture of heaven. We have this picture of what eternity um, will look like. And the Bible describes a part of heaven as this city that has room for everybody. The description is given that the streets are paved with gold, that there's an abundant supply of food, that there's no more death, there's no more, um, excuse me, that time ceases, that that eternity begins and the eternal life, uh, eternal life is, is a part of our reality. So the book of Revelation depicts paradise as a place where There is unlimited life, there's unlimited resources, and there's unlimited time. God promises to fix the greatest problems that we face in the world. But in the meantime, while eternity has not yet begun, we're faced with suffering. Now, my intention for today, it's not to present a theodicy or an argument explaining suffering. Today, my intention is to show you that one day God will fix the problem of suffering. And it's right for us to struggle with suffering. But also, there's direction for us as to how to take suffering and to use it as a vehicle to encounter a deeper experience with God. Jesus is the suffering love. Oh, excuse me. Jesus is the suffering love of God for the world. In the life of Christ, He combines suffering and love, bringing a spiritual dimension to suffering that teaches us what it means to truly love, to experience love, and what it means to love one another.
in scripture, uh, Jesus accepted the will of the Father, even though it was a bitter cup. Um, at the end of his life, he said, or right at his, uh, right before his crucifixion, he cries out, "Abba, Father, take this cup from me." And the Bible says that Jesus struggled with the call to obedience, and the experience of responding to the mission of God was difficult for Jesus. Was difficult for Christ. The book of Luke says that the time in prayer just prior to Jesus' crucifixion was so difficult that Jesus sweat drops of blood. Now, reading about Jesus' suffering is a bit unrelatable, if I'm honest. Now, mainly because I don't know what it's like to have the sins of the world on my shoulders. I don't know what it's like to have complete communion with God and to physically sense His presence. And then feel absolute separation. I don't know what it's like to sweat blood because I physically feel the weight of sin. The whole experience is, is a bit unrelatable to me. Now, there's another story of a martyr in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. Now, while Jesus was crucified for being the Son of God, Stephen was stoned for believing in Jesus. And the closing moments of the story of Stephen teach us. The significance of suffering as a part of our spirituality. In Acts chapter seven, verses fifty-nine to sixty, the the story in Acts says that while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then he fell on his knees and cried out, "Lord, do not hold this sin against them." When he had said this, he fell asleep, and that's just another word, another way of saying that he died. So Stephen, in his last moments, intercedes on the behalf of those who are about to take his life, and the scene mirrors the story in Scripture of Jesus in the closing scenes of his life. Christ is hanging on the cross, beaten, whipped, and naked, and he sees those who hate him, who are mocking him, who are gambling for the clothes that have been taken from him, and he says in Luke twenty three thirty four, "Father, forgive them." For they know not what they are doing. Stephen's suffering creates this special bond between himself and Jesus, and in our suffering, we too can also have this bond that deepens our understanding of Christ. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, verses sixteen and seventeen. Romans chapter eight, verses sixteen and seventeen. Paul here. Gives the most exhaustive discourse on the topic of salvation in the whole Bible, and as he caps off this idea of salvation in Romans chapter eight verses sixteen and seventeen, he writes, "The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ." If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So Romans eight sixteen seventeen says that the condition to communion and connection to Christ is sharing in his sufferings. The text here says that the familial bond with God is formed in adversity, not in peace, comfort, and prosperity. See, if we stick around and practice faith when things are good, sure, like that's great. 
But the text here says genuine relational ties with God are revealed in adversity. When you stick around when things are bad, that's when you know your family. There's another layer of meaning in this passage. The text invites us to a specific kind of suffering, the sufferings of Christ. Often suffering is separated from Christ, and it leads to unbelief. When we suffer and the focus is on our circumstances, the result is usually quite frustrating. And I think we've all been there. And so please don't feel like this is a rebuke, but more that there's another way to deal with suffering that can lead to something quite meaningful. When the focal point of our suffering fixates on Christ, it has the potential to build faith. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11 Paul writes something quite interesting. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul here talks about this experience, a deepening of an understanding of God, which develops in the midst of suffering. Similar to Paul, in Psalm 23, David writes that famous psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. For those of you who are not familiar with the passage I invite you to go to Psalm 23 and read through the passage. There's this picture of Jesus being a shepherd and leading us as sheep through green pastures and still waters. But the second half of the psalm takes a turn where the shepherd walks with the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And as you read through the story, as you read through the passage, there's a shift in the way that the author refers to the shepherd. See, in the first half of the psalm, when things are good and the shepherd is leading the sheep through green pastures, the the author refers to the shepherd as he. He uses the pronoun he. But as as the psalmist shifts and the shepherd walks with the sheep or leads the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, a different pronoun is used the author switches to the pronoun you. There's this deepening of personal connection and a relationship with the shepherd as it switches from peace to difficulty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul kind of expounds or explains what it means to really deepen one's understanding and experience with Christ in the midst of suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul writes about suffering, and he talks about how there's a unique perspective of taking suffering as a vehicle to deepening one's connection with Christ. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being con- becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice the list of things that Paul, uh, notice the things that Paul lists at the end of this passage. He says there are several experiences that we have when it comes to our weakness, uh, or excuse me, when it comes to difficulties that he faces. He says there are, he's faced with his own weaknesses. He's faced, and this is in verse 10, He's faced with the moments where people insult him, when people have a negative perception of who he is. There are moments where there's difficulty in hardship. And another word for hardship can be calamity. Um, and and I think a global pandemic would qualify um, in this case for that, for that uh, categorization. He talks about persecution. He talks about difficulty. And he says, in each of these categories, it is possible, it is possible to connect with Christ and to experience strength in the midst of that difficulty. You know, when I read through this passage, there's one main idea that comes from this passage, and that is, he says, I am more interested in Christ's sake, in the things that Christ is interested in. So then in the midst of my difficulty, it makes me ask the question, What's my motivation for my happiness? Does it center around me or does it center around the will of God? You know, as I've been reflecting upon my expectations for 2020 and now 2021, there have been different moments when I've experienced suffering, whether it was economic expectations, whether it was ministry expectations, uh, whether it was my expectations for my own personal growth or my expectations for my children and my family. And whenever there is something that is difficult, I kind of ask myself this question, am I frustrated with the difficulty that I'm faced with because of my own personal interests? Or am I genuinely upset and frustrated because of the interest of God? And And Paul's response to this is, when we center our motives, our joys, our hopes, our dreams upon the will of God, God's strength is enough to deal with the problem. And I think that then makes me reflect upon my own motivations and reevaluate them. And more often than not, the result is then, you know, if my dreams and my hopes and my expectations centered upon the will of God, I don't think that I would be as upset. And so just going through the process of praying through 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10 has been quite helpful. It's been quite helpful to me when I don't meet my own expectations. It's been quite helpful to me when I'm not able to meet the expectations of others when people feel negative thoughts towards me, or I think people think negative thoughts towards me. It's helpful when I'm facing this global pandemic where I'm asking the question, okay, I, I would love for our church to be in a building. I would love for our church to start the center of influence. But am I worried about this for the sake of God 
or am I worried about this because I'm trying to build a legacy? And these questions have then, uh, praying through these questions, uh, I've been able to then just say, God, I'm going to trust in you and you have your way. This text says that your strength is made perfect in weakness, so I'm going to trust you with that. The final layer of spiritual meaning that I find quite helpful in the midst of dealing with suffering um, is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to read or to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, and closing with this passage. Here the Bible says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Now, this text says that in the suffering of Christ, Jesus breaks the power of evil. In the sufferings of Christ, Jesus breaks the power of evil. And I think it's such a challenging concept and counterintuitive concept to really apply. Because for us, the way to conquer somebody is by overcoming them and dominating them. But the reality here is that Jesus is saying, or excuse me, the, the author is saying that Jesus conquers not by dominating, but by suffering and submitting. There is an underlying message here that ultimately it is the power of sacrificial love that overcomes evil and sin and selfishness. And here, I suppose it can be meaningful in two ways. One, when we are able, when we experience suffering in our lives, and then we look at the life of Christ and how he suffered and conquered, there's this wrestling that takes place. There's this connection that takes place where we are then, we are then able to identify the difficulties that Jesus faced in his life. So I guess to give a more specific example, if I am suffering, if, if I am encountering my difficult children in my house and I know I can do two things, I can yell at them, which often I do. I can be frustrated. I can be angry. And that produces a large degree of stress and suffering in my life. <laughs> and if I were to apply this principle, the way to overcome the obnoxiousness and well, I should, I, I'm being a bit insensitive here. I imagine this is very difficult for my kids as well, but the moments where they're acting out, if I endure the suffering and I say, you know what, I'm going to be patient. I'm able to then, uh, what helps me in that moment is to then focus on Christ and to ask the question, Jesus, what was it like for you to overcome? Uh, what was it like for you to endure the obnoxiousness of humanity, to endure the sin of humanity? And the ultimate answer is Jesus saying, well, it's very difficult and it killed me. But the ultimate result then is salvation and forgiveness for humanity. 
So then for me to look at that as an example and to see the difficulty in my life and say, okay, in this moment, I too am willing to suffer and give you, Micah and Joshua, the benefit of the doubt is something I just feel a sense of connectedness to God where I can say, you know what, this is difficult, but God, you suffer too. And there's a degree of understanding that I feel that even in the midst of me not being able to suffer for my children and often having to go back and apologize to them, I feel a sense of understanding in that Jesus gets that it's difficult and that's why he died and he forgives me. And so then I can go and ask forgiveness and I too can forgive my children. And there's this deeply, there's a deeper connection that arises from this experience of entering into suffering. And so I hope that as you encounter suffering in your life, whatever it may be, whether it's your family or your work or your expectations or your hope, that in the midst of that journey of suffering, that you can then connect with Christ in a meaningful way and experience forgiveness, that you would have the power to also give forgiveness and that you would have the resilience and fortitude to press on. And um, by God's grace, we'll make it through this. Um, and and um, yeah, I hope that I hope that you can really find meaningful time with God in the midst of this in the midst of this pandemic. May God bless you. We'll pray and we'll finish for today. Father God, once again, I just want to thank you for your word. Um, I want to thank you for the hope that is found in your word, and I pray that as we've read through these um, these texts of scripture that you would help us to really connect with you and to find that strength in the midst of this difficult time. Father, it's not easy to see suffering as the new norm um, when it isn't normal for us. But Father, we know that in the midst of the suffering that you can produce character, you can produce genuine love, and ultimately um, it's it's living out that love that leads to, leads to the redemption of, of others. Um, and so I just want to pray that you would Help us to really embrace this and to live it out. And um, I pray that uh, we would experience life in you and a deeper connection with you as a result. We pray this in your name. Amen.